You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. This is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back. This is our No New Roads Week. We're talking about transportation issues, transportation funding. And I wanted to have a conversation with a gentleman I got to meet a couple years ago down in the city of Lafayette, Louisiana. His name is Kevin Blanchard. He, he did not have the public works director uh, position when I met him, and he doesn't have that position now, but he held it in the interim. And I wanted to chat with him because he has some very unique insights. Kevin, welcome to the Strong Downs podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Hey, can you just give everybody a little bit of understanding of what it means to be in a consolidated government? I, I think it's a unique situation in Lafayette, and uh, people maybe won't understand the dynamics, and, and those play a lot into this conversation. Yeah. So our parish, uh, which is what we call counties in Louisiana, uh, is relatively small. There are only six municipalities, the city of Lafayette being the largest municipality. Uh, And probably 20 years ago, we all got together and decided to consolidate our city government and our parish government. Uh, In actuality, the way that worked, however, was the city of Lafayette uh, merged with the parish of Lafayette, and uh, we sort of consolidated, you know, the public works department, uh, had one single community development department, you know, planners, that whole bit. Um, But two things happened that probably have hurt us a little bit in the long run. One, the other municipalities in the parish did not uh, join in on consolidation, and so uh, about 20% of the people in the parish live outside of the jurisdiction, if you will, of the city parish government. Um, And then the other thing that we did that probably didn't turn out super awesome was we never merged the books. There's still a separate tax uh, and separate budget for the city government. So, you know, the taxes that are city theoretically can only be sent spent inside the city and the parish taxes, which are collected parish wide, even from the municipalities that don't participate, uh, those are managed under a separate budget, uh, and spent, um, theoretically would be spent in the parish as a whole, but because it's such a low, uh, amount of money, there's basically a gentleman's agreement that it only gets spent in the unincorporated parts of the parish. And so that's the dilemma that we face now is the city is relatively prosperous when it comes to its tax base. Uh, and the parish is not, in fact, the parish, you know, is near sort of a bankruptcy state at any moment. Um, just because anytime there is actually tax producing property that pops up in the unincorporated area, one of the municipalities, uh, gobbles it up. And so we've got sort of a 30, 35% of the people in the parish live in the unincorporated areas uh, and the tax base to actually support those activities is pretty nil. It's pretty, pretty uh, laughable. 
how did you come to be involved with the government? I mean, you, you, you're an attorney and a news reporter, and then all of a sudden you find yourself uh, invited into Joey Durrell's administration. Uh, what was your role and how did that all come about? Uh, as a reporter, I used to write a lot about how uh, directionless our government seemed. And so Joey Durrell, who I somehow maintained a decent relationship with in all those years when I got out of law school and started practicing, he said, well, you've had all these opinions over these last few years. Why don't you come and try to do something about it? And so we were embarking on a comprehensive plan, uh, new development code, and I was uh, the volunteer chairperson of the committee that that put that work together. And then ultimately, uh, after I guess about a year of that, we was making some good headway, and Joey said, why don't you just come and do this full-time? And so that's how I spent the last two years uh, working for the mayor. Now, part of that was as public works director, right? Right. Yeah. I, I, I'd like, because right. this is where you and I got into the numbers and, and started taking a look at things. One of the things that has astounded me is that you had this huge deficit, yet the the program that you kind of inherited included a, a whole lot of new projects. Can you talk yeah. just a little bit about you walking into the job and, and having to deal with that dichotomy? Yeah, well, so we had on, again, you know, city side of the budget, pair side of the budget, on the pair side of the budget, um, we only had in the last fiscal year uh, $300,000 available for maintenance of existing roads. And we've got, you know, approaching 300 miles of roads in the unincorporated part of the parish. And so $300,000 literally doesn't even do a full road overlay. That's like half a road. And so one of the first decisions I had to go and advise the mayor on was who gets the half a road overlaid this year for the entire parish. But but the way that our budget is laid out and the way that sort of, I guess, culturally uh, those budgets are put together, which I don't think is a – I don't think this is a rare thing. I think this is probably the norm in a lot of places um, is we, we sort of program out uh, uh, not necessarily based on – cash flow, if you will. And so we we have at the department, you know, a list of necessary projects, needed projects, uh, bridge improvements, bridge replacements, um, you know, some, some pretty uh, long list of roads that just need to be brought uh, up to some sort of standard. Uh, but we don't really have the money for it. You know, so one example is uh, we had a bond program, I guess, 10 years ago now uh, and had a list of 15 bridges that 10 years ago we knew were going to be key bridges in the unincorporated part of the parish that were going to need extensive repair or replacement. Um, and we've only made it, I think, halfway through that list. And there's no more money left in that bond program. Um, and so we've got all these plans that sort of sit there. And what happens politically is the councilmen, of course, want something to happen, right? I mean, nobody nobody runs on a re-election platform of, I was really good with the money and we only did what was absolutely necessary, right? I mean, they want to 
be at the ribbon cutting for the new connection or for the new widening project or the new turn lane in front of the Lowe's. And, and so there's this pressure, you know, from the political side of the spectrum of basically, you know, what else you got, what's the new thing, you know? And so on the city side, uh, I think we're like most other places we can sort of limp along, um, uh, and, and ultimately let, uh, the chips fall where they, they may be. But on the parish side, uh, I, I had to spend uh, my time in the department basically telling councilmen there's just no money, you know, and, you know, we can, we can play pretend and add this project to the list of things that we're working on. Uh, but ultimately there's no, there's no manna from heaven here. Like this is it, you know? And, and uh, I think our, our council, uh, that it really started sinking in for them, um, at least on the parish side of the budget in the last year or so. It, it seems like the parish in a way is the canary in the coal mine in Lafayette. I mean, it's the place that mm-hmm. is essentially the, the most fragile. Can you describe a little bit, because you're still adding road miles in the parish. How how did the parish get so many road miles? And what's that what's that process look like? Well, uh, it's it's just sprawl. You know? <laughs> I mean, the, the it's the it's the same old story. I mean, we're you know we're a very flat parish, right? And so uh, we don't have any place. Uh, that's that's off limits to you know physically speaking to development other than our you know the places that flood and we do have you know probably you know a good 15 percent of the land mass in the parish that's very susceptible to flooding but if you can get around that hurdle everything's flat and and we've got lots of plentiful uh sugarcane fields uh out in the rural parts of the parish and so you know that we're a boom town sort of place. Uh, not right now. The price of oil is actually killing, uh, killing us right now, but, uh, we're the sort of place where culturally, um, uh, when things are good, they're very good. And there's not often a lot of thought put to, you know, the long-term sustainability of the model. So, you know, the bulk of all of our new construction has happened out in the unincorporated part of the parish uh, and when you tell folks, you know, we can't keep this up, it's not sustainable, uh, you're just the the guy at the party that, you know, just wants to point out, like, how the punch isn't any good, you know? Right. The, 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 the naysayer, if you will. So, For the most part, though, uh, th- that's what- a lot of this is developers building stuff and, and turning it over to you, right? Sure. Yeah. And, and, and for the most part, the city or the parish, like gladly accepting, you know, I think, I think that it's been difficult, uh, to make the connection, although we're getting there, but to make the connection between the elected officials on the parish side and the, uh, and the development community, uh, that, it doesn't necessarily follow that the tax dollars follow the rooftop. You know, that was one of the first conversations we had with the home builders here who are a good group of folks. Um, but when they said, uh, when I had this conversation and said, look, we've got to think about why it is and how it is that we're incentivizing 
this type of development over the type of development that we can actually afford. Um, the response was, what are you talking about? The parish is making money hand over fist. And my response eventually became to open up the budget and say, well, then where's the money? You know, I mean, ultimately, um, there's this, there's a wide gap between the perception of prosperity and the actual reality on the ground. You guys were also working on a number of big projects, the uh, the strode widening things. I, I know you've got the highway project that's been in the works for a, a generation, I think, that they hope now is coming to fruition. What? How do those big projects, the ones that are getting funded by outside dollars like the DOT and, and, and that kind of thing, how do those impact the conversation and, and where you're spending the money there? Well... Uh, it's part of the conversation. In fact, the the last uh, mayoral campaign that we just had this fall, one of the big issues was who's going to be able to go to Baton Rouge and bring more money back for some of these improvements. Um, I'll tell it. I'll, I'll say it like this: my my old boss, my mayor, who was who was here for twelve years and pretty popular guy, and and I like him a lot. Uh, went out for a tax proposal in two thousand six for a new penny. And his basic pitch was the state doesn't give us enough money. We should never, we shouldn't wait for the state to fix a lot of these roads because most of our, almost all of our major arterials are uh, state routes or U.S. routes. Um, and it failed. It failed pretty miserably. It was like a 30% to 70% failure. And in the last few years, Joey would actually tell people that he was happy that that happened because he's pretty sure we would have spent the money in a way that wouldn't have helped, right? That we would have just sort of perpetuated some of the poor practices. I don't know that um, that our state DOTD has necessarily thought about it that way or made that turn uh, in philosophy where it comes to sort of how they make programming decisions. Um, I think they're getting there uh, at the very least because there's – I think there's a growing recognition on everybody's part that even if they don't, uh, whether they like it or not, there's scarcity, right? There's just the the money's never going to be more than what it is today, and folks just generally don't. This is a very conservative state. Um, aren't going to be supporting a lot of new tax measures, and so how do we spend that money better? But, uh, you know, for the most part, we haven't had some of the big mega projects uh, happen in Lafayette, not because we didn't want them uh, as a community, but that we just never hit the political lottery, if you will. If you think about that answer the question. Oh yeah, no, that that was that was perfect, Kevin. I I'm I'm wondering, you know, if if you think about what could possibly happen at the state capitol. I mean, the, the last time I was there, you had Randall O'Toole uh arguing that we should, you know, the citizens of Lafayette should hire a lobbyist and send them down to the capitol to beg for more money. L- let's pretend you did right. that and you were really successful at it. Is there an amount of money uh, that is, you know, plausible or imaginable? Is there an amount of money that could fix the shortfalls that you have right now without changing the way the city does business? In other words, no. is there a way you could go about doing what you're doing with just more money? No. 
I mean, because ultimately the, you know, when, when you only make uh, decisions on roads based on things like level of service um, and, and those kind of metrics, you're just chasing your tail, you know? I mean, <clears throat> we could, we could go, and we probably will as a community go and lobby to try to get a billion dollars to fund uh, I-49, which is the the interstate project that's been ongoing here for a while and is in, under the design stage right now. And and when that happens, then the next movement will be to go and get five billion dollars to build uh, a loop right uh, around the city. I mean, that's another project that's been in planning. And by the time that happens, we'll, we'll have chased the rabbit down the hill for some other sort of mega project. And, uh, you know, not only is it sort of, I guess, uh, kind of crazy, um, but it's also a competition we haven't been very successful in. I mean, we're, we often lose those sorts of battles to Baton Rouge and New Orleans on a pretty regular basis, um, just you know because of politics and and how many votes folks get in the legislature. So, I think at some point uh, we've started having the discussion here, and I I hope it starts to happen on a state level uh, where we get back to the basics. You know, I was impressed uh, with what Tennessee did a few years ago at their state level when they basically said, you know, we've got a how many ever billion dollar backlog, you know, some fantasy number backlog that we're never going to reach. How about instead of saying, so we need a hundred billion dollars, how about we see what we can do to get rid of a lot of those projects, you know? And so they started putting, you know, safety ahead of capacity, uh, started putting multimodal decisions ahead of everything else. And, as they started doing that, um, nobody was upset because, you know, projects were finally moving. You know, when they turned the $50 million road widening project into a, a $500,000 safety project by improving an intersection, at least people saw progress, right? Um, I think part of the problem is, and I'll probably get in trouble for this, but we've 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 allowed um sort of the the engineering uh, profession to take a lot more owner uh to to give us our main direction when it comes to planning for these projects right and god bless them i love engineers and i've, I've enjoyed the ones i've worked with but um you know there's there's more to life than than how fast you get from point A to point B. In fact, there's a lot more to life than that. And it's, it's a, it's a model that's just not sustainable. And we've started having that discussion here in Lafayette. And I, I hope that it's something that, that bubbles up to Baton Rouge. You, you mentioned Tennessee and the, the multimodal conversation. There's a lot of people who are pushing in Lafayette and other places for investments in biking and walking infrastructure in transit systems. When, when you've got a system like Lafayette and like, like most cities around the country where there's this huge backlog of, uh, you know, car oriented projects. How do those other projects fare? I mean, how, how do they become part of the conversation or, or do they not? Well, I think, I think part of the problem is that we treat those sort of uh, 
like the redheaded stepchild, right? I mean, we've got, uh, and, and, and our department was no different from this. You know, we have our, our road projects and those are the things that everybody gets excited about. And then somebody else, you know, on staff gets appointed like, Oh, you're the sidewalk guy or you're the bike path guy. And, you know, we're not going to actually chase and use a lot of local dollars for that. There's an NPO program that'll pay for that. And if, if we get that grant, we'll, we'll do it that way. Right. We haven't thought about how to change the model so that those things are, part of the menu of viable options and and frankly in a place like Lafayette which um, as a city we didn't really boom until the the uh, oil heydays in the late 50s and 60s and so we don't have a lot of urban space here we are a suburban city you know I mean we are uh, strip malls and, and four lane roads and so the amount of investment it takes to sort of retrofit a lot of that sprawl makes a lot of these projects difficult uh, politically, right? Uh, you know, I'm going to go to Johnson Street, which is US 167, you know, typical five lane sort of strode. Uh, and the, the cost to just sort of outfit Johnson Street with uh, some intersection improvements and some safety improvements and uh, maybe a bike path or, or three is like, you know, $20 million per mile, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a hard sell to make. And so, you know, we're not only having, uh, we have some success doing those things now on the front end, but it's, it's going to be difficult uh, politically until folks understand the sort of value that those projects can add for for a majority of the council and for the mayor president to decide to forego the twenty million dollar widening project to do uh, some sort of multimodal project. I, I'd like to ask you a last set of questions. There's two two questions. I, I'd like you to envision two futures and and what they look like for Lafayette. Let's say the first one is a continuation of the present set of policies. So you, you've got this backlog now, the backlog grows. What does the city look like, uh, you know, over time with that scenario? And then a, a second scenario, let's say that people today said, we, we're going to do something different. What, what would that look like to get you to a, a successful place? Well, <clears throat> While I think we've made some some improvements in the last couple of years, if we don't make any significant uh, changes in the way that we a uh, permit subdivisions or and and b you know how we sort of prioritize our our capital dollars, uh, the parish will be broke soon. Um, you know, matter of years, not decades, uh, and that'll that'll start and has started manifesting itself. Uh, I closed just in the year and a half. I was public works director. I closed three bridges and those bridges did not have any identified funding to open them. And there's probably four or five more that are on the, on the list. And eventually, uh, got to pay the piper and, and, you know, everybody will be upset and it'll, everybody will say, how did we get here? And, you know, mismanagement, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's just the inevitable results of the system that we've set up. Um, what was the second question? 
I, I wanted you to to kind of think what a good approach would be. Like if you if you could, uh, you know, wish the the most positive future possible on the city of Lafayette and the and the, the whole area. What would that mm-hmm. What would that look like? Uh, I think we need to get to a point where we're serious about the way we make development decisions so that folks a are paying for the for the actual impact that their uh their development does and you know however we get there is you know there's lots of ways to do that but there needs to be an overall political recognition that not all development uh is equal and that they're uh we need to return sort of to the the good old days where things were closer to paying for themselves um, and, you know, I'm also would like for us to start being smarter about the way we prioritize projects. Uh, you know, there's only a limited amount of capital dollars. Usually in Lafayette, we have like $20 million or so to pay for all of our capital improvements, buildings, new pickup trucks, you know, the whole bit. Um, but we don't really have a serious discussion about uh, should we spend this million dollars on new police cars this year, or should we do a uh, sidewalk utilities project downtown and hope to spur some redevelopment, right? We just kind of throw them into a big bingo hopper and pull out winners at the end during budget time. And I don't know that um, I don't know that we have a, a good plan on how you pull that off uh, and how you pull it off politically other than People just need to be aware. They need to have this conversation. We need to start talking about, you know, how do we actually get some return on the money that we spend? It, this uh, this conversation's gotten <laughs> a little serious, but you you and I uh, you have given me some of the deepest belly roll laughs I, I've ever had in my life. So I, I want people to know that you are a, you're a fun guy, and I, I don't think you could do this job without a good sense of humor. Um, how are no, you? No, you need it. <laughs> You've been out of uh, out of the city there for a month now, right? How's how are things yeah. going, and, and do you miss it? Uh, I do. I do miss it. Uh, I guess I should uh, take everything I just said and throw it out the window because I work for a developer now. Uh, <laughs> and but no, I, I I do miss it. I enjoy it. I'm getting to do things a little bit on you know from the other side of the table now, which is fun. Um, I, I didn't really know what I was doing uh, when I worked for the city, and I don't really know exactly what I'm doing now, but don't tell anybody because <laughs> I've apparently hit some sort of sweet spot. So, Well, that's that, the thing that I found brilliant about working with you is that you, you knew enough to ask good questions and not enough to be indoctrinated into the, the way things are done. So it's, it's a refreshing right. mix. And I, I think you found yourself in good places because of that. So I think so. I think so. And we've, we've enjoyed having you when you've been here. I just want you to know it's, it's uh, 60 degrees outside today in South Louisiana. And so I've got on my, I've got on my coat and my long johns. Like it's been, 
we've been doing fires outside every night. So, you know, <laughs> it thanks is, for bringing that winter weather down. <laughs> it is minus eight right now. And uh, even yeah. for this Minnesotan, that's a little chilly. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to believe in a world where minus eight temperatures exist. That's just that's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, well, the very first time I came down there was in August and I thought I was going to die. Yeah, and I we I remember that day because I think it was like almost a record low temperature for that day. I think it was like eighty nine or something, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, Kevin, it's so we nice. Could, to... We could be like that show, like you know the the wife swaps reality show. Yeah, swap weather every once in a while, you know. Oh my gosh! See me out in like minus eight degree weather and like trying to <laughs> shovel snow or something. <laughs> I'd pay for that. That would be fun. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, my friend, thank you so much for taking the time and, uh, I really appreciate it. And I hope that I get to see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for doing what you do, Chuck. Hey, you too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. And thanks everybody for listening and keep doing what you can to build strong towns. Take care. We need your help. If you think the Strong Town's message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.